0: So joining us today are Frank Nittle Lexi Seidel, and Matt Richfield. Uh, thanks so much for being here. We're going to be talking today about Full Service by Scotty Bowers. And for any of you listening that have read the book, you know that the Hollywood portion of Scotty's story starts out after World War II when he began Working at a Richfield gas station in Hollywood in 1946, and so he started sort of started out in this business of, um, well, he was he was tricking himself, but then eventually it led to him basically arranging uh, liaisons for other people and getting old buddies from the Marines hooked up with customers as well. And it just grew and grew exponentially. So I wanted to ask you guys, cause it, it talks about a lot of famous movie stars and directors and writers and things like that. Were there any of those folks that you were surprised to find out were, you know, gay or lesbian or bisexual? i
1: was surprised about raymond burr
0: okay okay yep yeah i had heard that I'm also
1: about- because you know he looked it was under a lot of stress
0: <laughs> i'm sorry can you say that again
1: i was also relieved that he was able to have this relationship with scotty because he also looked like he was under a lot of stress during filming
0: Yes. Yeah. And he eventually, I I believe Scotty introduced him to his long term partner that I believe they were together until he passed away. So um, something like 20 years, which is, you know, which is great. Um, Anybody else? Any surprises for you?
2: It's funny right. that you mentioned Raymond Burr. That's funny that you mentioned Raymond Burr because like in the eighties, I remember a coworker of mine saying, oh yeah, I forgot where her brother or somebody lived." She goes, oh yeah. And then Raymond Burr and his partner. And this was all the way back in the eighties. And I was like, wait, what? And they're like Raymond Burr. Yeah. And all that. So it's interesting. Yes. That it's mentioned in the book because it's sort of like I've heard everybody that's been mentioned in the book I've heard about for years, but it's now hearing it from him so that's when people like question Scotty's you know whether this happened I believe everything did because what are talking about I've heard about this for years in different ways and all that stuff yeah
0: some of these were sort of I think open secrets within Hollywood um but not so much without you know outside of Hollywood I guess um and yeah, I guess there weren't any big surprises for me either. But it was it was interesting because, you know, he, some of the folks he mentions um, are movie stars that people might not be familiar with today, you know, unless they're into like classic movies, people like Walter Pidgeon. But a lot of them are, are still big stars today that people are still very well aware of you know vivian lee tyrone power rock hudson cary grant spencer tracy so a lot of the huge huge stars of the you know 40s and 50s and even into the the 60s um, anthony perkins for example i was also
1: surprised about vincent price but then i was like yeah that makes sense
0: (laughs) yeah sometimes you kind of then look back on I don't know their persona or or how they behaved and you can sort of imagine it you're not okay, I yeah, I get it okay. How about you Matt? Oh Matt, I think your microphone is off. Oh now now it's off. I think I think we can hear you now. No, we can't sorry the little microphone the mute thing went off but let me make sure I don't have anyone on mute I don't think I do Lexi do you have yourself on mute I do not okay I mean I, you guys don't need to it's fine how about this there yes. you go.
3: for some reason my better microphone decided to just not work oh as we get into this so i apologize for that
0: no problem Um, oh and i just want to mention real quick frank if you could get a little closer to your microphone yeah that would be great okay so
3: i wasn't i wasn't really surprised by any names that were mentioned um what and i normally i would have taken notes had i taken notes i would have written another book Um, Just because there was just so much to keep track of locations and people and associations and stuff. The, what I found interesting, sometimes it was difficult. Sometimes it wasn't was the lack of labeling once or twice. He might say someone's gay or whatever, but most of the time it was referred to this person preferred the company of women. This person preferred the company of men. Um, And he would use descriptions of gender just to, say this is who i usually booked for this person um whereas if that same narrative was written today we'd have a lot more there would be a lot more discussion about identity um which was not the the focus of this book yeah Um, so i just i found that interesting
0: yeah that's a great point um because he really wasn't into labels um one thing i really um liked about him is he had like this incredibly healthy, non-judgmental attitude, you know, towards sex. I think it was like way ahead of his time, pretty much ahead of where we're still at as a society today. You know, it was like innocent, almost childlike attitude, but it was like completely free of shame or guilt, you know. Um which I think is is really admirable. I mean, and and like they talk about, you know, how you shouldn't kink shame. <laughs> and he didn't do that, even though like some of the things that came out about a couple of folks, like I have to admit, like I kind of find them gross. And I wonder if maybe he should have included those or not, just because it could have embarrassed the families, <laughs> um, specifically like Tyrone Power I'm thinking of. Um, but what do you think about that? What do you guys think about, first of all, like writing a book that outs people, even though, you know, they've already passed away.
2: I go back to like, if you're with someone, it's like, you usually keep that comfortable. You know, it just depends how much you like the person. If you really like the person, and I mean, again, these are just most of these are just tricks, just happen. But I also think if you're with someone, a lot of times you do keep it private, and even when they pass, you keep it private. I mean, you share it with friends. But I understand what he, he's doing. He it it is his life. He's telling his story, and basically, it's all these people that came into his life. So he's revealing his life. It just happens that the people that he's with are famous. I mean, it could be that him doing a book on his. Talking about friends and using their names, and so I mean, and also he considered a lot of these people friends. I'm yeah. more private, so but it is interesting that he is able to do it, and you know, I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, more than more than I thought were yeah, absolutely. I mean, and
0: I think you know, there there is something to be said for you know, if you tell it later after they've passed away, it's not going to impact on their career, things like that. But I just think maybe. S- for me, some of the details about some of the more kind of unusual practices maybe should have been left out. I know he actually convinced someone who wrote a biography about Tyrone Power to leave it out. And then he included it in his own book. So um, but the other the other thing too is the the story about all these people shows um you know what what the actors and actresses and others went through um having to live these double lives because of the way you know society was at that time. So I think he was very he had a lot of compassion for that and was happy basically to provide them with you know the pleasure that the outlets that they that they needed. Matt, what do you yeah, think? Yeah,
1: I like how he was like
0: Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Lexi.
1: I like how he was candid about everything, but at the same time, he was respectful. Like he's just like, this is just natural human behavior, you know. And, and he reiterated that, and it's like, yes, it is. So, yeah, some of the things were unusual, but at the same time, I'm glad that he included them because it gave a more complete picture as to what was going on and and you know what goes on. So
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he definitely had, you know, like I said, a very healthy attitude about it all. Um, didn't think people should feel guilty about it or you know, feel ashamed of, you know, what makes them feel good. And um, so, so that was great, you know, and it's not, I didn't feel like he was writing to try to sensationalize, um, you know, like you said, Frank, these were these were people that he knew and um, whether he tricked with them himself or arranged, you know, liaisons and, or, you know, became
2: good friends with them. These were people in his life. And when you live in California, you meet tons of people. I mean, it's like, you could, I mean, here's the thing. And because you live in California or you're meeting someone that's an actor or an actress and all that stuff, you meet everybody all the time if you lived in Ohio, you'd be meeting somebody that works at the local store or the theater or something like that. And you would have these exact same experiences. It's just different because these are people that people care about that want to know who was with who and all that. So. Yeah, definitely.
0: And I think in in some respects, you know, there may have been more of this going on in um, LA and Hollywood just because, People were trying to get away from places, you know, the South, the Midwest, wherever, where uh, they didn't feel as free to, you know, pursue those things. So just like a lot of, you know, queer people now, even today, you know, will gravitate towards big cities where they feel safer and more accepted and things like that.
2: They used to talk about how the stars always would go to Palm Springs. That was sort of the safe zone. It was outside of LA. It was close enough. There's this whole thing about that. That's why so many of the the JFK, the Merrill Monroe, the Frank Sinatra, all that had their places and things, everything happened in in Palm Springs. And it was far enough that they could get back to LA when they needed to, but it was far enough removed away that there wasn't a lot of press, not a lot of stuff going on out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Frank, if you didn't get a chance to read Gunkle, one of the books that uh, we covered previously, it's set in Palm Springs, and I think you'd really enjoy it. I would recommend that to any of our listeners, and our episode on that with myself and Matt is going to be out soon as well. So what were some of your favorite parts of the story?
3: For me, I actually had nothing to do with the intimate affairs For me, one of the things that really stood out was where it was in the, I think early fifties and he was buying a house and the house was going for $20,000. So he just got the money together. And I'm like, well, wait, 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 wait. Okay. (laughs) It's like, I understand home prices have changed over the years that I get, but then it's like when I did a calculator for cost inflation, that was about $200,000 at the time. I can't imagine gathering twenty thousand dollars in today's economy on the spot. Yes, yeah. Not to mention two hundred thousand dollars worth of cash at the time. So that one, that kind of like pulled me out of the book for a second. And again, he throughout the book he reiterates, "Look, I only took money for my personal tricks. Um, I didn't take money for all in the and most of the book." Is about all these arrangements, but the yeah that that's that was one thing that really stood out to me that um and he didn't really get into talking about money. No, throughout no. much of the book.
0: But I mean, he was and he was definitely hardworking and not just with the the tricking, you know, he worked a lot of jobs and things like that. I know that there were some benefits for the GIs that came out of World War II, so you know that may have helped with like a down payment on a home things like that but you know it's funny because i read this book for the second time to get ready for our discussion today and the first time i read it i i kind of had a hard time believing that he didn't take any money for arranging all of those liaisons but after reading it again i i tend to believe it just because he doesn't really seem like a A greedy type of person. Again, he has that almost childlike personality. And I mean, he said at one point that he was tricking two to three people a day. That was on top of, you know, working at the gas station or later, you know, bartending. So I believe it now. I don't know if there's anything that you guys found maybe hard to believe or you thought maybe it would have been exaggerated in the book (laughs) well I'll
3: I'll add the some of the the the, again and I listened to the audiobook so yeah I'm getting a bit of a a bias from the narrator um but the um the implied casual nature of some of the gatherings like Mm. some of the parties oh and this just happened I'm no prude I've been, I've, I've been to a few gatherings of humans and things have gone on, or I've seen people walk into another room and come out looking a little different, but again, for the time and the the pairings or groupings that he would help arrange, just seemed, um, that seemed a little far-fetched. Uh, also a major I should say majority, but at least half of the time where he was, um, I probably eh, about twenty years of the time that he was making these arrangements for other folks, the Hayes Code was still very much in effect in the industry. And if you're listening to this and you don't know what the Hayes Code is, look it up because it's a, it's a long, messy list. Yeah. But it's a, about impropriety being uh, presented, and but it's interesting that it started because of several scandals that had happened, and. Legislation started getting written, like not policy in Hollywood, like states were enacting legislation or trying to saying this movie's banned, or you can't show this, or you can't show that. And I, well, another thing too, is I didn't realize that this, that the code was technically in effect until like 68, which I just find so odd. Cause I don't equate the sixties matching up with that kind of, um, uh, puritanism. I can't think of a better word at the moment, but the, yeah, it's just interesting that during the time there was such a public restraint that was, that was put on in the community. And so anyway, that was another thing to that was going around in my head while I'm reading through all these years.
0: Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the Hays Code apply more to what could be shown in the movies? Did it also apply to like the, Private lives of the actors and so forth.
3: There were clauses in a lot of contracts,
0: like morals so,
3: clauses. So you know, um, if an actor was caught, you know, one male actor was caught kissing another male actor in public, they could lose their contract. But that was, I think, that was like kind of aside. It wasn't really part of the Hays Code. Hays Code yeah. was more about what could be shown to public.
1: Right. So anything that was like televised or theater or, yeah.
3: Go ahead, Frank. No,
2: I was also thinking that with him, with all this stuff happening, it is surprising that more people didn't find out what I mean. More like there was a magazine called Confidential, I think in the 50, you know, that had the story about, was it Tab Hunter? And they had basically the studio, I think, gave up the story on, was it, rock Hudson and give them to tab- something like that but I'm just shocked that there weren't more I know in one part of the book they talked about a vice squad staking them out and all that stuff it just seems like with everybody know nobody can keep a secret in this town so it's like it was just surprisingly that everybody did but it seems like we had a good thing going so we're going to keep it secret but yet I'm just shocked about that that there were no raids nobody no nobody was caught and that more of this and did you guys ever see Babylon the movie Babylon I happen to like it a lot of people don't but it deals with that starts with the beginning of filmmaking goes up through the 50s and a little later but it deals with a lot of the scandals that happened at that time like you know you mentioned like Matt you had mentioned like old channel but I'm thinking like Fatty Arbuckle or that that those are the type of scandals that ended up making that code come in because of all these things that because it was like just a free-for-all like I said, so in reading this book, I'm I'm picturing the movies and other things that relate to it.
0: Yeah, one thing that is interesting that it came to mind when you were talking about that was you did mention there were a couple attorneys that kind of specialized in getting people off on of those you know charges from the vice squad, and a lot of it turned out to be just bribing the cops. They would give the cops money and then the cops wouldn't show up to court. So the tr- the charges would be dropped. But I think, you know, a lot of people had a vested interest in the secrets, not coming out, not just, you know, the actors or directors, etc., themselves, but the studios too, you know? So I think that they kind of willingly turned a blind eye as much as they could, um, because, you know, they were they were making a lot of money off of these folks and they didn't want them to lose their status or their star power or or things like that. So that's why I think, you know, like with Rock Hudson, it was kind of an open secret, but it was a well-kept secret. Yeah, um, it
1: seemed like a lot of it was like a, a well-done balancing act between like the stars, their you know, representatives and stuff like that of what got out and what was available and yeah. I, I just like how he portrayed, you know, as Frank was saying, you know, all of these different like liaisons and whatnot, nobody heard about it. it, it and like you said, you know, it, it's just like a balancing act.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. And it's funny too, Matt, you mentioned the Hayes Code as sometimes like um, on Instagram or other places, they'll show clips of what they call pre-code movies and they really got away with a lot, a lot of sort of double entendres, a lot of, you know, pretty, obviously queer characters and sexual references, things like that. You go back some of the, like Mae West's initial movies. It's really fun to see those. And you can see a huge difference between those and then the movies that were made once that Hays Code was in effect.
2: You mentioned, and if you can't, don't mention it, but you keep it up Tyrone Power. Is something... I don't know and that I should look up later because I'll look it up later if you can't mention it now. But is there no. was it mentioned in the book that I missed it?
0: There's something it, it was. I don't I I don't know. Maybe this is me being prudish, but it kind of grosses me out. So I won't mention it, but okay. I can look um, it up. Yeah, look it up, and and similar with Charles Lawton. Yeah,
3: um, that was that was the part of the book I was I struggled getting through.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah, that was kind of gross as well, you know. And I I try to be open minded, but everybody has their, you know, things that kind of freak them out. I guess
2: I'm going to look it up, but I also I did just look up the Hayes Code. Yeah, and it says. Said- the code sought not only to, to determine what could be portrayed on screen, but also promote traditional value. Sexual relations outside of marriage were forbidden to, to be portrayed as attractive or beautiful, were to presented in a way that would not arouse or passion or make them seem permissible.
0: And that's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think they could through that code control what the the studios included in their pictures. Um yep because the studios, you know, had to meet those. But it, it clearly didn't work when it came to people's private lives. And I think, you know, it just drove, it may have driven people further and further into the closet, but they still had those needs. And, you know, Scotty Bowers was definitely one person who was there to help them find those outlets that they needed. And I mean, we all know, you, even, you know, it's, it goes on today to, when governments or other organizations try to legislate what they consider morality um, that really it really doesn't work you know Um, people are people they're different everyone needs to live their life the way that makes them happy and it's I think kind of silly to think that you can legislate that kind of thing but I think it goes to just people who want to control other people
2: you know i think i was going to tell you about did you ever hear of you know you know with scotty it and i actually i'm just saying you know i did see his documentary up at the lemley up the street from me and he was actually there when he was alive mm-hmm. i mean when he was left um but i think about him providing sort of like a safe environment for this to be going on because did you ever hear the death of roman navarro do you yes. all know about him yeah and Ramon Navarro. But, and, you know, he was sort of like, there was uh what's his name? The Chic what was that? Rudolph R- Valentino. Rudo. Yeah. yeah. And then came him. And then with him being killed up in really right up the street from me in Laurel Canyon by two hustlers that arranged to come up, you know, how scary is that? So on one hand, you know, Scotty was doing a good thing because it was more of a safer environment or the people that it sounds like everybody that he was arranging for the celebrity or who else were decent people compared to these two little thugs that this guy called up and they kill him and rob him for like 50 bucks. I mean, it's just like, and that's even scarier being in put in that situation where anonymous people are coming to your house and then God forbid what could happen.
0: Right. I think especially when he first started out, you know, arranging these liaisons for people, a lot of the younger people he knew like guys he was in the Marines with and maybe their girlfriends or whatever. He did know them and he did know that they were good people. They just needed, you know, they just needed the money. And so I think, yeah, he definitely kind of screened folks pretty well. And then, you know, eventually when people like Ramon Navarro would, I don't know if they just kind of cruised the streets or whatever, and you never know what's gonna happen. It can be can be dangerous. I mean, grinder can be
2: dangerous, right? I also heard, and you guys, if anybody, and please tell me if I'm wrong about this, but you know, it, it just sounds like with the book, you know, turning tricks or the guys being with other guys, it it didn't seem like they mind, you know, it was, you know, they were like, Oh yeah, sure, for a couple bucks I'll do whatever. I also heard that about San Francisco, about the Castro district, about during When a lot of the guys that were in the service, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this is just what I read, is that when a lot of guys were dishonorably discharged from the service for being homosexual, they were treated not with respect. And basically, a lot of them were dropped off at the port in San Francisco, and a lot of them didn't go home. And so then there was also... The thing that they said a lot of times, guys that were on Shirley in San Francisco would end up like in the Castro or in that area, and a place to stay. Somebody would offer them a couple bucks. So it felt like it was just a way of life back then. It's sort of like there wasn't a lot of money around, and if somebody's going to pay you, you're like, okay, yeah. So it, it did seem like it had as much of a stigma as it does today. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then, I... well, I think it might. It, I mean, it could have been a little different
0: between. The two cities, just because if they were dropping off people that were discharged because they were gay and the ones in LA, I think for the most part were, um, they were just finished with their service, but maybe a lot of them were straight, but it was kind of like, well, if someone's going to give me a blow job, you know, I, I'm, I'm cool with that, but they probably didn't do other things. You know what I mean? Because they were straight, they, they probably had certain limits, but you know um gay or straight you know it's probably like well a blowjob feels good and if I have to close my eyes and think of my girlfriend I can do it <laughs> you know what I mean but I would like well, to learn more about San Francisco Sounds that like- was
1: one of the other things that I appreciated about his portrayal of things was gay straight lesbian whatever that, and, and as Frank and you were saying that he kind of screened the people and I knew that they were good people um you know he he never made anyone go past their limits or anything he never promised anything it was just here's this person that i know
0: here's what you know and just it's up to you too yeah and i think if any of either the customers or the you know tricks ever did anything ever you know crossed any lines he definitely would have you know, banned them from his services going forward because he, you know, he did care about people and he did want people to be safe and to be okay and just, you know, have a good time, which is awesome.